And now, live <laughs> from Las Vegas, Nevada, I am here with Pamela Muldoon for the Enterprise Marketer Podcast. Welcome, my host, Pamela Muldoon. I feel like I'm supposed to rumble now. Like you are. I'm- <laughs> Like UFC type of, I, are we in the octagon, buddy? We are. We're at a poker table. We're at a poker table. What's funny about this is they own this poker table. Yes. This was not like, oh, well, let's rent a poker table. They were like, oh, let's bring the poker table. To Las Vegas. Yeah. They could have brought the roulette wheel. They were like, do we also, they left do we that bring the home. Ferris wheel with us? No, no, no. We're going to do it inside. No. Just the poker table. This is a whole family thing. It is. You know, Miss Julian does a roller derby. Yes, we. Yes, she does. Yeah, here. I meant she did it no, here. Oh, oh, like here. here at the casino. She put on her skates and was like knocking senior <laughs> citizens. She was checking them against the boards. Checking oxygen tank out of the way, kind of thing. <laughs> took them right matter. out. Took them right she out. She took out like half the AARP in like one move. <laughs> so, That's a pretty serious tactic. She is. Actually. I'm not supposed to touch the microphone. No, but you're I keep not moving toward it. No. <clears throat> All right. So what you got for me? So, buddy. We're going to talk serious now. There's a pretty good chance they can't use any of this. I know, I know. We're going to get serious and down and dirty. This This is is for us? us? Okay. All right, so let's talk. Um, We're at Intelligent Content Conference here in Las Vegas. Mm. Beautiful, windy Las Vegas today. Um, You and I have chatted quite a bit off and on throughout the day. Actually, throughout the last couple of days. So there's a couple of things I want to make sure we address. First of all, in the business, you're known as a content strategist, Mm. mainly in the healthcare or pharmaceutical, right? So we're going to talk a little bit about that. But I also want to talk about this highly creative side that you bring to the table, which is, of course, your your talent and your work in comic books. Mm-hmm. And then I want to talk about the merging of this. OK, oh, yeah. so we have kind of a three part conversation we're going to have. So let's talk first about the business. Let's okay. get the business talk out of the way. Right. All right. So content strategists, healthcare, pharmacy. Exciting stuff. It is. You know, um, when you think about content strategy in this sphere. Yeah. There is, um, there's no room for error, right? Right. If you work in another industry, you know, there's sometimes there's flexibility and there's a mea culpa, oh, we made a mistake, there's a coupon. Or we're sorry, we made a mistake. In healthcare, you know, you can be off by a milligram and you could accidentally kill somebody, sure. right? There's a, there's, a, there's a pretty big responsibility. Right, right. People's health depends on accurate content. So when we think about content strategy, we're thinking first, how do we ensure that content is accurate across all channels? How do we ensure that it's managed consistently? If something changes both in the marketplace or in the knowledge base about the science or the health, because health is constantly evolving, how do we ensure that the 16 different ways that we're using that single piece of content is tethered back to an original piece and then cascades back out? Managing that corpus of content is essential because people's lives depend on it. So there's no margin of error. So content strategy really starts from the perspective of we have to be right every time people's lives depend upon it. So um, we are working toward ensuring that we have a back-end corpus of content that passes through whatever display layer and picks up whatever formatting it needs to, but then also manages that anchor back to the original content. One additional thing, in pharma, we get indicated from the FDA for usage. Okay. So let's yep. say there's a drug that you're going to take for cardiovascular reasons. Okay. Now now it's indicated for you as an adult, but what if one day it gets indicated for children, right? Because kids might need this drug as well. Further research shows that that indication evolves. How do you ensure that that content cascades out consistently? And we're not just thinking about web. You remember... 
pharmacy is not just web. Right, Pharmaceuticals right. is not just web. Like right. We have a lot of materials that go to a lot of different services. It could be hospitals. It could be pharmacy. A lot of print. A lot of PowerPoint. So web is among the most easy, right? Because you can ha you have access to it. You own it. But what about all those different platforms that you have to manage? And I came into this early on. Ann Rockley brought me in. Yeah, yeah. And I was doing a project for a major pharmaceutical company, and we did an audit. We were talking about audits. You start with an audit. Yep. And we found 16 instances of the same prescribing information, and each one had a slight variation. Mm. Now, how do you manage that? Well, you, people are using institutional memory. They're remembering to update things. A brand manager leaves, well, they forgot that there was another version out there. Sure, yeah, so yeah. So your content strategy now plays that centralized role where we start to say, one person's going to own it. It's not a brand manager doing a tour. It is literally a content strategist who says we manage the science of your content. And so in that, because you bring up a really interesting kind of integration, I want to talk a little bit how you use technology to manage some of that. Mm -hmm. Because if we have 16 variations, and to your original point, this is life or death, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, this is serious stuff. You really can't have that. It's not even an option, right? right. So... How have you, since this has been something you've worked in for some time, a little yeah. while, um, how have you seen the integration of technology work with you on this, like assist you as be a partner in this? And then I know um, your, your process that you've done um, in terms of bringing in the technology, the data, the measurement, and being a content creative strategist guy, like that's really been a driving force for you in the past year or so. So talk a little bit about that, but first just touch on how technology has became more of a partner for you. Well, no, I'm glad you bring that up because yeah. I know you know this sort of thing that yeah. we evolved from Excel sheets right. oh, and yeah. institutional memory <laughs> and dropping it on SharePoint. We say, oh, every usage is listed in that Excel sheet except the ones that aren't. Right. And then which version, <laughs> of the share, which version of the Excel sheet are we working on? Yes. And it got emailed. Mm -hmm. uh, and you start to recognize that we were managing things as humans that are better managed with technology. And if people begin to understand that the technology is there to bridge the gap between your memory, which is faulty. Right, we're human, yeah. And, 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 and also the brand team that comes and goes. Um, you can create that base of knowledge that's a corporate asset. So over the past couple of years, there is this recognition that if you create a back-end corpus of content that's channel agnostic yeah. and managed on the back-end, and then is interpreted through the destination that it goes through, like it picks up that formatting, you're far better off than recreating. The idea, you remember, used to be copy and paste, copy and paste. Well, you know what? Even copy and paste fails sometimes. And what happens is some enterprising brand manager or salesperson goes, well, I'll make a quick change here. Suddenly now you have an instance that's changed. And now we're starting to say work is a benevolent dictatorship. We appreciate your opinion and your input, right. but don't change <laughs> the science right. because that's like, now you expose us to risk. Yep. So we're starting to create this ability to lock the science so that it goes as a locked piece. It could be with brand message because it has to be marketed and positioned, but ultimately that backend content is now being managed with technology and the recognition, particularly in pharma, that we are closing that risk and providing better, more consistent service to our healthcare professionals who are depending on us to be accurate. Right, right. It is a long process, but of all the industries that I see out there, I see pharma as one of the industries that benefits most. Yeah. Because our risk is very, very high, and our benefit 
is also equally as high that you don't have to keep recreating the same assets over and over again. As you know, creating content, de novo content is expensive. Right. But repurposing right. it and finding new ways to say it to an audience that may not have seen it the first couple of times is more efficient, right? You know, the, the majority of ad campaigns get changed not because people are tired of it, because the brand team's sick of it. They're like, oh, we've got to change this. Right. We're yeah. sick of it. We get sick of our ads we get a sick lot of our own sooner. Stuff. Yeah. I know. When I used to be a copywriter, mainly in broadcast medium, that was that was why things got changed. Or it was the salesperson who's like, we should probably change this now. But not, you there know? was no science was behind not, it. Right. There was no data behind it. Like, we've heard this ad so many times. You know, well, if it's working, you know, <laughs> why are we changing it? So in yeah. terms of governance, that's where we're seeing it's a very technical story. But, you know, yeah. we also now... Content strategy is not just for marketing, right? Marketing, content marketing is yes, for marketing purposes. Yes, I, I agree. Content yeah. strategy can handle a publishing continuum, could be for human resources, staff training, any number of things. Um, but in the content marketing realm, we're not stewards of your brand message, or we're here, nor are we here to validate your ideas. We're here to get change among users, right? So marketing has three different changes, right? Marketing is not to deliver a message, it's to get somebody to change. There's only three types of change. One, you're not using my product, please use my product. Number two, you're using my product, use my product more. Number three, you're using my product, please recommend it to a friend. There's only three changes. So marketing should be oriented to get that change. But a brand team was like, we worked for six months on this brand message and the brand message is it's green. And if, <laughs> if it's green doesn't convert, and it's red is actually what converts. Sometimes the brand team won't let that go. Right. They'll just keep trying to make it green. And sometimes you just go, look, you can still say it was green, but really it was right. red. Let's be <laughs> pragmatic. So we are actually um, advocates for our um, potential customers, whoever that may be. And I think you'll relate to this. Sometimes you have to take an adversarial role to the brand team because sometimes no is the right answer. Right. We're not here to deliver marketing. We're here to help change behavior. And if they don't understand that there are metrics that help us to understand what works and they're just stuck on delivering their own message, yeah. they're doomed. Right. So I think content strategy is an evolving role that didn't exist 10 years ago and now is an essential role that will continue to grow. Right. And yeah, it has to. It has to. And, and it's exciting to see that, though. It, it really is. I mean, when um, I first started in this industry, it was just a term, right? It was something that sounded good, but mm. did anybody actually do it? And now we can fast forward, what, five, six, seven years later, and companies are starting to look at this as an, as a part of, this is, they may not always call it strategist, but they have somebody who's starting to oversee this process in some way. So there's hope that it will continue to get better. You know what better. scares me, and I will tell you that working in a high science industry. Yeah. I work with pharmacists and after their name it says comma PharmD or right, right. comma PhD or comma MD. There yes. is no thing that says brand storyteller and yet it shows up on everybody's LinkedIn right. profile. <laughs> and sometimes I just want to go, tell me a story. And they'll be tell like, well, no, no, don't tell me your brand message. Yep. Give, me, give me something that motivates me to take action yeah brand storyteller even content strategy uh, there's no bar right right and we're in a terrible situation it's too fluid right, right now yeah everybody walks in and they're like yeah i'm, I'm a content strategist i'm a strategist i am a content strategist <laughs> i'm recently graduated and i'm a content strategist and i think like wow strategy comes with time and experience yes. and battle wounds yeah. 
And it's okay to not call yourself a content strategist if you're not. Yeah. It's really okay to not call yourself a storyteller if you're not. And I think that storytelling is one of those words that people are trying to get their, their hands around, brand yes. storytelling. I agree with you. And it, it makes me nuts because I'm like, well, what does, what does it mean? mean? Yeah. What does that mean? <laughs> hashtag, hashtag brand storyteller. And I go, elaborate. Yeah. Go on LinkedIn, do a quick search, <laughs> and you're, you're going to come up and you're going to go, okay. Yeah. So why are you a brand storyteller? What does that mean? What, how, how, do you, how, how do you validate that? It doesn't say comma MD. Right, right. Which right. is hard to get. Yes. It's so easy to just call yourself brand storyteller, and, I, and it makes me nuts. And I think it makes me nuts because I feel like what it's creating is this false positive that's going to ruin it for all of us. So some company's going to hire somebody, and they go, well, person is a brand storyteller and content strategist, and that person has no idea what they're doing. They've read a couple blog articles. Yes. They followed a Twitter feed. They come in. They stumble around. That company's like, that didn't work. Right. And then they throw the idea away, and they don't. Pursue it again. What's the what's yeah. the what's the most devastating phrase in corporate America? We tried that already. Yeah, we tried. We tried, tried that already. I mean, what what does that even mean? What do you mean you tried that already? Yeah, we'll try it again. Right, right. Try try two times with an actual strategist. <laughs> right. Well, it's sort of <laughs> like in, in corporate when I'll sometimes I'll say to somebody, I'm just looking at I'm looking at you right now. When I, when you're when you're there and you're saying like somebody will say to you like, oh, uh, well, last year you said we needed to do this, and I'll be like, oh, last year that was right. Right. Yeah. You know, but this year, I didn't count on Snapchat. Right. Right? Nobody counted on Uber self-destructing. Right, right. Right? I mean, it's... The change happens. Changes just happen so fast that, yeah, you will sometimes counter counteract what you said in previous situations because the situation has truly right. changed. Well, yeah. and last year, that was true. Yeah. This year, much. if you want to stay ahead of the yeah. curve... You do, right? You got to just keep going with it. I'm making you pay attention. You have to stay with me on this. I know you've been at it for two full days. You're exhausted. I know. She's, she's not giving you any. This is the greatest family in the world. <laughs> These guys are awesome. And so before, I, I want to go back to storytelling because this is an area that I think uh, you do resonate with quite well, especially in the visual spectrum. And um, we actually chatted a little bit today on your comic book background mm -hmm. and how, I mean, you're, it says here free time, and mm. I kind of chuckle because I get the impression that the background that you have from a visual storyteller is more than free time. It's You make that time. You make that time. You yeah, make that time. I think that's a great way to put it. So talk a little bit about that part and how you incorporate it into something as regulatory as healthcare. Oh, I mean, I'm really glad you asked me. Thank you. Because uh, so uh, somewhere in college, I was not a comic book, somewhere in college, somebody mentioned comics and there was a local comic book shop and they had like comic books for a quarter and, yeah. and like I had no money I was a college student but like I could scrounge together some money and I fell in love with comics and when I graduated I wanted to work in comics I graduated a journalism major started writing about the topic so I I was writing about the topic deconstructing it as a journalist I wasn't thinking about the characters as much as the people who were doing it. I was constantly thinking about the process. And I was like, let me see your scripts. How does that work? How do you tell a story? How do these two things work? And so as a journalist, I was getting this grok-level understanding that makes me go, this is great. After I was leaving uh, comics, and I was leaving comics because I got recruited by Merck, the pharmaceutical company. They needed patient ed materials. They needed somebody who understood visual storytelling okay. and also had a background in code. I'd learned how to computer code, and I was also a copywriter. I had this sort of weird trifecta they were looking for, and we found you. So I literally went, and it's true, I went from writing Deadpool the Merck with the mouth to writing for Merck. 
True story. Coincidence? Coincidence. <laughs> Cosmic intervention. <laughs> um, but uh, so anyway, I didn't know anything about health or pharma, but Merck was committed to training their employees and they trained me and I got better at science and all of the things that had to do with healthcare. And what they really wanted to do was ensure that um, this early internet model was very visual because they had to show patients how to administer on their own medications. They had to show people how to open their packaging. And what was happening was as the internet was emerging, you know, we were trying to figure it out in real time. Now, comic books have a lot to do with web design, and I was an early web designer as well. Not good, but I, would, I knew what I wanted to accomplish, and I worked with a good designer. I could communicate it, and I would always say that when you put words and pictures and juxtapose them together, and then you create a narrative that drives someone to a call to action, you're describing both a web page and a comic book. Both times you're taking words and pictures, putting them together for a narrative and asking for a call to action on a website, maybe it's click here. For a comic book, maybe it's buy this or turn the page. And you can learn a lot by cross-pollinating those two different mediums. You, In a comic book, you have to be very, 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 very economical. You need to put as few words and the most amount of imagery to tell a story, right? And you have to yep. think about what that next image in the story is. You need to do the same thing in the web. More importantly now, even more in the mobile web. You need a real economy of visual language. So understanding the visual language and the grammar of that visual language, uh, uh, sort of, they complement each other. Sure. Yeah. So even now, when we think about what I'm doing with pharma websites for my clients, well, when I was in the agency, and then what we're doing corporately, people forget that everything from the user interface to the fonts to the distance between the words and the pictures and the figure caption and the proximity of the words and how you're bolding mm -hmm. H1s and H2s, that's all visual language. And some of it's unique to the web, some of it's unique to PowerPoint, some of it's unique to comic books. But by cross-pollinating in your own free time, you, you learn how to make mistakes and then how to apply new knowledge. So when you say my free time, yeah, my weekends are spent making comics or going to comic cons and I'm learning and I'm, and I'm extracting from other visual creators. What, what, how did you do that? Right. 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 And sometimes right. they'll talk about how to use negative space to control the eye. Sure. Right. We all read left to right. We all read in a Z pattern. And if you, if some comic artists will say, well, you read in a Z pattern or a circular pattern and you go, well, okay, how do we do that in patient education materials or physician education materials? What can we use? What's the density of content? Right. So, and I know I'm going on, but I mean, if you think about the visual language of a professional medical website, right. very dense, very saturated colors, very deep, logical, structured columns versus maybe a patient ed uh, website for um, pregnant moms, right? You're going to have softer colors. You're going to have softer palette. You're going to have more whites and open areas. Things are a lot more breathing room, a lot yep. more pictures. Each one of them sends an instant message to the user that you confirm that you're on the right page, right? If you made a, if you made a doctor's website for a, a gynecologist and it looked like um, something that you made for new moms, that professional would go, I'm on the wrong site. Just as the mom right. who goes to the journal website yep. might go, oh, sure, it's about maternity, but might look at that and go, oh, that, oh this is a professional yeah. site. People think that all, they distill too much. Pamela, they, they always distill too much. They go, here's the rule of thumb. Content should be no longer than 200 words. And I say, well, you know, maybe not. Maybe if you're about to research a drug to do surgery, maybe you need more than 200 right. words, <laughs> right? You're pregnant, 
you need more than 200 right, words. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's a, there's a component where they rule of thumb things too easily. You have to think along that user journey, what is the content, but then what is the visual complement to that? Right, what right. fonts do you use for professionals? What font variations? These are big decisions that often people don't consider nearly enough. Yeah. And then they accidentally use the wrong visual storytelling and grammar. And I think that, and we'll get it back to you because I think it's really important because if you practice and you do stuff in your own time, like podcasting and doing these interviews, we talked a lot. The reason you're a good interview is because you practice all the time. They didn't, they didn't accidentally pull you all out of, out of there's like a sure? thousand people here and they know that you can do, <laughs> but they know you can do the interview because you practice in your own time. And that's, that's, that's key. I think all content strategists have a side hustle, be practicing and bring that, that unique selling proposition to the table, yep. to the poker table. Right, to the poker felt. To the, to the felt. poker felt. To the felt, buddy. Which is oddly covered in bacteria, right. and I feel almost <laughs> like I've just picked up maybe chlamydia or something off this thing. <laughs> no, I, I shouldn't have licked it, should I? This is... Yeah. How many people touch this? See, it's, we've come full circle with the whole microphone conversation We just now. did, because this microphone... There's something on this microphone... That even Keith Richards couldn't survive. There's, there's a bacteria in here that I literally saw wink at me. Go ahead, you, you, you go. I may not make it back, guys. <laughs> um, I have no idea where I was going to go after that, but I think it was going to be something profound. So, buddy, thank you so much. No, for thank being you. No, you have been. I've truly enjoyed it. No, today me. because we have this off and on conversation mm, going on today, mm. buddy. It's like. We're like twinsies. I'm getting my nails done just like you. And, and we're going to be. I can't wait. I, it's good. It's a good we look should, for we me. We should go together. Yeah, we're going to go. And we're actually, we're going to do it in the uh, the RV. In the, <laughs> do you guys do Manny Petties in the RV? <laughs> they do. You've been holding yeah. back on me, man. I'm, I'm ready. I'm awesome. ready. That's awesome. I'm getting a new hair color. <laughs> right? Can you do, can you do me? Yeah. You do me? I'm ready for the, for the. To check senior citizens. Yeah, I was gonna say, wait a minute. Check Here senior we go citizens. Again. We're coming full circle <laughs> with the conversation. So let's uh, let's just say, um, just for argument's sake, th this is an essential because they're, they're they don't they won't say this is an essential service. I think having long form discussions amongst peers um, is essential because I think that without this, we cannot possibly progress um, the knowledge base and intelligence that comes from this this tribal get together, right? You, you can do it remotely on a blog and you can listen to a podcast, but the fact that enterprise marketing brings this together and, right. and allows us this forum, I think is essential. You guys are awesome. I know you worked like animals this, all, this whole weekend. It's a thankless thing, but you guys provide an amazingly valuable service that will help our industry get to the next level. We don't know what it is yet, but you guys are part of that. And we, I think, thank you. We really appreciate that. Don't you agree? That's fantastic. Yeah. Buddy. Pamela. Thank you. No, Pamela. These guys are great, huh? It's and the sacrifice. The it's getting emotional in here. The sacrifices they've made. Absolutely. Yeah. And the RV hours that they put in. Yeah. And the, when when the person that they stole it from finds right. it, like the, <laughs> when Walter White catches up with them, <laughs> they're going to be like, seriously. You no, know, they were in Albuquerque, New Mexico they were. for a long time. <laughs> seriously, we are... They stayed there, but that was their last stop before they hit Vegas. Yes. Well, I don't, coincidence? I don't, I, I, don't, I don't think it's a coincidence at all. So, um, Well, buddy, thanks for, thanks for your time. 